the best, 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 best of Crest in the Afternoon countdown. Number 13. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. My guest is uh, Rocky Sickman, Senior Vice President of Board of Collins for Fields of Honor, an organization that provides scholarships for the families of fallen and disabled service members. Rocky was among the 52 Americans taken hostage by Iran in 1979. And... Um, We've had, Rocky joined us once before a few years ago, and I thought it would be a good time to remember that incredibly significant uh, moment back in 1979. Rocky, good to have you back here. Thanks. Hal, thank you for having me on the air with you, sir. It's an honor. Well, let's talk a little bit about just help people understand how you were raised, uh, your decision to go into the Marines, how you were kind of prepared for service. You know, it's a great story, and it's really uh, it's synchronicity that you call me on November 4th, 42 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. my whole turned upside down. But you're right. I grew up in a small town of uh, Crockville, Missouri, a population of 50, and that was dogs and cats included out. <laughs> and we, uh, I went to a, a Catholic grade school, um, and, you know, at that Catholic grade school, I used to raise the flag, and such an honor it was. My father was in World War II, um, my brother was in during Vietnam, and they had served during the Army, uh, and I wanted to uh, serve our country because, you know, my parents just taught us yeah. uh, love of family, love yeah. of faith, and love of country. Yep. And little did I realize that those three things would help me do uh, the darkest hours of my life. Yeah. Well, did, you, uh, did you expect to, be, to go to uh, Iran? You know, it was one of those things. Uh, I just graduated, and they had not assigned post. And all of a sudden, a week after my graduation, uh, they uh, it provided me my duty assignment. And so myself, and I think it was like four or five of, of us, uh, basically headed over. And we arrived in uh, Iran October 7th of 1979. Okay. And uh, at that time, uh, Al, we were uh, coming into uh, the airport, and we had sea bags on, but carrying, you know, we were in civilian clothes. But we stood out because we had these big old uh, green sea bags. And so they rounded us and made us pull out our, uh, our, uh, all of our items from our sea bag, which you know consisted of your white uh, boxer shorts with your name stamped on them mm-hmm. and all the other stuff. But uh, that was my first encounter. Little did I realize that was uh, the first of many more encounters to come. Wow. So you had uh, less, actually a little less than a month, huh? I did, yeah, yeah, and uh, something that, uh, like you said, you know, 42 years ago, uh, that morning, November 4th, I will never forget it, uh, as I was walking into the motorpool gate. Have you seen the movie Argo? I have. Yes, I have. Yeah, so I Twice, I in fact. <laughs> yeah, my, my son got to be in the movie, and we could be here all day telling stories, and, uh, <laughs> you know, that, but um, my son got to be in the movie, and I got to speak to the cast, Ben um, Affleck. Uh, had a, my son and I fly out. I spoke to the cast. They had never uh, spoken to one of the hostages. That's great. The movie, yeah, the movie's about uh, six individuals. Three of them, Al, on the morning of November 4th, I had breakfast with them on November 4th. <laughs> Little did we realize that four hours later, our life would be turned upside down and never the same. And I never knew about uh, the rescue attempt by the Canadians, which I had played tennis against the Canadian ambassador a week earlier. Uh, <laughs> Bruce 
Bruce Langman, uh, our chargé d'affaires, um, a wonderful man. He knew him was a pretty good tennis player because I was playing tennis on a clay court right behind his house every day up to November uh, 4th. And so anyway, two weeks earlier, he asked me would it be his partner. I said, I'd be honored. And he goes, I asked who do we have to play. He goes, uh, Ken Taylor. And so a week before we were taken, uh, we smoked Ken Taylor and his assistant. And little did we realize that the next week he would rescue our six people, which created the movie Argo. Wow, that's, that's a great story. Did you, when you got up that morning, did you send, was the atmosphere in the city, uh, did you know there was trouble uh, brewing? Yes, absolutely. In fact, two weeks prior, El, um, you know, the, the, um, the Shah of Iran had been the dictator, and he fled in January of 1979, and there were 20,000 Americans at that time. By the time I got there in October, there were 65 American, wow. uh, American embassy. And so weeks, uh, two weeks prior to us being taken, uh, we had had wind that the Shah was going to be allowed into the United States. And it's documented uh, by President Carter that he asked the staff, so if I allow the Shah in, what are you going to say when the Islamic Republic of Iran takes our people hostage? Right. Bad yep. thing about it, two weeks later, that's exactly what happened. And that morning, there were demonstrations again. And I had just gotten off uh, at 11 to 7 guard duty. And so I went over and got cleaned up, came over, had breakfast, had breakfast with those three, and went down to the chancery. And I'm walking into the motor pool gate. And that's why I said, when I saw that movie, Argo, I can remember. I mean, it's just, and Al, you remember, I mean, traumatic times in your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you lost your leg in 2003. It's right. something that you don't forget. And here I am walking into that uh, motor pool gate, and all of a sudden I turned, and I will never forget, and I will tell every American, that morning, November 4th, there was nobody, no one at the front gate to provide protection. Wow. I ran back and got into the chancery, and there at that time, seven Marines held that American embassy, that chancery building. It was a 23-acre compound. We couldn't hold the whole compound. Right. That's the, the government's part. We held the chantry for four hours until they broke through the basement window out, and they bring in Iranian women and use them as shields. And I will never forget that. That's the second thing I will tell every American how on November 4th, 1979, the Islamic Republic of Iran, the men used women that had no rights in ah. black shadows and used them as shields, pushing oh. them forward, not quickly, very slowly. And I can tell you, I had my gas mask on. I can remember to this day, 42 years later, my gas mask was going from clear to fog, and my finger was on a sawed-off shotgun, and Billy Gallegos is to my right, yep. and two 22-year-old kids in the basement, and we're being screamed, don't fire, don't retaliate, help is on the way, which there was no help coming, but we got to the steps, tear gas popped, we went up and um, basically barricaded our ourselves behind the door until... We were finally told to give ourselves up by uh, Commander in Chief President yeah. Carter. Uh, do you wish you had open fire? You know what, uh, uh, my wife and she hates this when I tell her that. But uh, as I sat tied to a chair for the next thirty days, yeah. tied to a chair, Al. <sighs> I mean, uh, your arms were tied to the arms of the chair, and your feet were tied to the feet of the chair. At night, they would tie your wrists and your ankles, and that's how you slept. But I sat there, and I just regretted. You know, you know, telling myself, you, you had a lot of time to think. And I can tell you, I sat there and just, uh, man, I wish I had that chance to come back. And But there again, I would have been the uh, the loose cannon, the loose Marine that yeah. shot upon 
Iranians that were told not to. Yeah. But you just wonder what would have happened had we fired upon them. But Although the Iranian men probably would have used the Iranian women and shown the local government, look, they're shooting unarmed innocent women. I know. They're, they're very good. They know how to negotiate and manipulate this situation. So, um, you know, in turn, we uh, were told to give ourselves up. And But, yes, I, I do regret at times uh, not ever pulling a trigger. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, did they single you out uh, as a Marine? You know, um, at the very beginning, yeah, they found out they were scared of all of us. And, of course, little did we realize, and I, I didn't know this, but they had basically put charges on all of us out that we were all spies mm. um, there at the American Embassy. So that's probably why President Carter eventually did what he did, and that was to put together a rescue operation. Um I mean, for the first 30 days, you're sitting there. It's 1979, and uh, you're a little bit older than that. I was 57. You're yeah. 51, I believe, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so the Vietnam War it ended in 75, and so my brother was in Vietnam, and he, uh, when he came home, you know, the first thing he did was took his uniform off because people didn't want to see people in uniform in 75. And here I am, 79, thinking if nobody cared about the Vietnam veterans, Who's going to care about us back home? Because in that corner of the room, and not only at home, but even in a country, in that corner of the room, as you said, tied, you could hear the city of Tehran start in the morning and the traffic built, and then all of a sudden it died down to where it all went to sleep. And that would be day five, day 10, day 20. And you just thought you were forgotten now. And yeah. uh, it was very difficult. I, I, I yeah, it's, it's, I, I can't really place myself in that situation. You wake up. Uh, I I would imagine uh, you expected that uh, this would be remedied fairly quickly. When did you begin to realize that nobody was coming anytime soon? You know, as I sat tied to that chair, I spent my first Thanksgiving, as we all get prepared. Uh, I can tell you, growing up in a small town of Crockle, my, my father was a concrete mixer driver. My mother was a carpet store secretary. There were a total of seven of us in, in the uh, family, and they made the holidays. like uh, It was like being at the Ritz-Carlton. I mean, just celebrating family and good food. And here I, I spent my first Thanksgiving out, and I... I'm sitting there thinking, this is this is how I'm going to end my life. Yeah. And I could just reminisce thinking back of growing up in Krakow and eating the good food and being with camaraderie. And then, of course, Christmas came, and I sat there doing the same thing. I mean, I, I can remember back as far as getting my first little race car set when I was a little <laughs> kid on my head. You know, surprised me with it. And you have, that's, that's what you had to yeah. live with, yeah. was the reminiscing of your past. They were wonderful things, but... You finally came to reality, probably New Year's Eve of 1979, when humanitarian gesture, they did not release us, and you knew you were going to be there for a long time. And they, they then, instead of tying us, they put us into a room where I was locked for the next 400 days. So, I mean, I want you to know your listeners to know that 444 days, we went outside seven times out of 444 days. Oh. I mean, freedom, freedom is not free, and you have no idea. On the morning of November 4th, 1979, the Americans were stripped their freedom, their dignity, dignity, and their pride. And, I mean, it was uh, one of those things that we knew then we were going to be there for the long haul. And they told us, until the shawl comes back, do you uh, get released? Were you able to talk with anybody? Yes. It was January of 1980 when we were finally able. There was a guard in our room for about a week. 
and he sat there just watching us three. And we would just look at each other. The guard would leave, and we would whisper. All of a sudden, he'd come back. Next day, he never came back. And so you then started to, you know, uh, talk to these other two. Little did we realize, um, I was in the room with Billy Gallegos, another Marine, Mm -hmm. uh, that was at the front door, left the door open uh, far enough for me to squeeze in. And Jerry Plackin was the only American civilian. Jerry was on his way out of the chantry that morning when all of a sudden Billy and I closed the door, and he was with Korean. Um, he and his Korean were over to collect a quarter of a million dollars in cash. And in his briefcase, he had a quarter of a million dollars in cash. And he got taken hostage. And, of course, he was Jewish, which they, you know, yeah. they hated. And they made, hate Jews, and so they humiliated him. But oh. he was in a room with me for the next uh, 400 days. And, yeah, you reminisce and talk about everything. Rocky, hold it there if you don't mind. I'm going to take a quick break. We'll come back and continue conversation. My guest, uh, Rocky Sickman, U.S. Marine uh, Sergeant, uh, talking about take, being taken hostage 42 years ago today in Tehran. That really was the beginning of the war on terror, although most Americans don't connect the two yet. I'm Al Cresto. The best. 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 Of Cresto in the Afternoon Countdown. Number 13. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. It was on this day 42 years ago that uh, militarized Iranian students uh, entered and took possession of the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. Uh, I'm talking with Rocky Sickman, who was a Marine sergeant there at the time, about his experience. Uh, Rocky, what there, there were reports... Uh, back then, that occasionally there were visits from U.S. clergy. Did you ever get to meet with any of those? Uh, I think one was at Christmas time. I don't remember exactly when. Yes, there was. Uh, and uh, I want to back up also. You had mentioned something earlier about the, you know that day of November fourth yeah. is the start of a war on terrorism. And I can tell you, out of the fifty-two hostages, there are thirty-three of us still living. And we will tell you that the war definitely started that day, November fourth. But yes, there were clergy that uh, came. Uh, they were supposed to be with uh, Red Cross, um, and of course they came in and provided this a, a ceremony at Christmas. But nobody knew what it looked like before entering that room. We came down. We were bounded, handcuffed, uh, blindfolded. And they brought us to the door, took it all off, and then they opened the door. And it showed this beautiful room with all this great stuff. And we went in, and obviously they uh, sat there. And uh, we tried to have a ceremony, and obviously they sat between us. And Uh. it was one of those things that it was a big show um, because – uh, a show that they were trying to be humanitarian and everything. I can tell you, after we left that room, we we were given something to eat. We left that room, and they took it from our hands and handcuffed us and blindfolded us and took us back. Oh. And so again, they, they know how to manipulate and make it look like they're really good people. Now, to this day, this morning, there's an article that out of 800 cities in the country of Iran, um, or excuse me, out of 1,200, there's 800 cities that are demonstrating this day, death to America, death to Israel. And so that hatred, it, it started then, and, and it carried through the whole 444 days. Wow. Uh, um, when you look back at uh, President Carter uh, at that time, uh, how do you regard him today? 
Now, President Carter, a wonderful man, little did I realize that uh, each month for 14 months, uh, the Marines, uh, being a Marine, very proud of the Marines, they took care of their own. Yeah. Uh, they would go out to Crockle, uh, in, which was about 80 miles from St. Louis, pick up my parents, drive them into St. Louis, put them on an airplane, fly them to D.C., where the two other Marines would pick them up and take them to a visit uh, to Jimmy Carter, President Carter at that point in time. And I didn't know this, that he did this for 14 months. So he was a very, personally, a good man, but obviously Iran just, you know, manipulated and humiliated. And Iran just didn't do it to President Carter. And this isn't about Democrats or Republicans. They did it because they hated our government. Mm -hmm. And right after they released us of $8.3 billion that we paid, they killed 240 Marines in President Reagan's watch. And so... It's just gone on and on and on, and again, it goes back. That's why I kind of wish I would have pulled the trigger that day in November for it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you, you kind of wonder what circums- what would have flowed from that if, uh, for some reason, we had just said no. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you're not and, coming and in. trust me, now, you have no idea, as you sat there, I mean, morning, noon, and night, um, I was doing 600 sit-ups, 300 push-ups a day, walking back and forth, Billy and Jerry and I, sitting there telling one story, telling it over, telling it a hundred <laughs> times. But you just wish that the day would end. You wish that they would just drop the bomb um, and just, you know, wipe it, wipe us all out yeah. uh, and start all over because I, I wanted them to feel the pain that we were feeling. And again, it does hurt because I, from 42 years, they've never been held accountable. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, there was some discussion of the hostages receiving compensation. Whatever became of that? Uh, you know, it's not happened yet. I can tell you we probably received, uh, we were supposed to have received $10,000 uh, for every day that we were there, but uh, that was back in 2015 that it was approved. Um, but we have maybe received 1% uh, of that, and uh, so <laughs> we're still waiting. Uh, you know, obviously we continue to give money to Iran, sure. um, be our friend, and so I'm a true believer, you know what, before we do anything with Iran, number one, they have to stop the, the teaching of hatred. I'm yeah. a true believer, Al, that a Muslim is not born with hatred. Right. They are taught hatred. And like I said, look it up. There's a, there's a story right here on USA Today that they're showing uh, young children burning the American flag, chanting that to America. They've never met an American, but here they are teaching it. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things... Iran and any other country needs to understand if you take Americans hostage from the U.S. Embassy, you, you will pay. And, but we've never made them pay. And so why wouldn't they continue to take a Vietnamese cargo ship last week and hold them hostage? Well, they know that if you take hostages, they're going to get paid. Yeah. And so there's, they've never been held accountable. It's very sad. You've got five children. Yeah. And think about it. If you let your kids just do what they want, they're going to get out of control, and then eventually you can't ever bring them back. Right. And that's right. that's where we're at now. Iran's to the point that they're so arrogant, uh, they don't care. They know that our government changes every four to eight years. Yeah. They just got to stretch it out until that person is gone, and the next one comes in and makes them believe that we're yeah. going to we're going to change. Yeah. And I call it bull, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> no, I it, they do, and they they sit it out because they assume. That uh, because we have changing administrations here, that they can then buy time with the next administration and, and manipulate uh, manipulate policy. Yeah, you- oh, 
And I'm sorry, real quick. No, uh, go ahead. Isn't it interesting that 800 cities out of 1,200 uh, are uh, demonstrating and promoting this day? Here in the U.S., nobody even covers yeah, it. Yeah, it's not even I mean, a story. Yeah. I know. How, how can you, and we want to be our, their friends? I mean, it's like, get the heck out of here. I mean, yeah. you got to change your your process before we want to even be your friend. And so it's, I've got some you know, concerns with the way that we're dealing with Iran. Generally, the American people don't spend a lot of time following foreign news, you know? That's part of the problem, is that the, 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 the media, you know, it, it doesn't see the coverage of these stories as something the American people are interested in. It drives me nuts. I, I agree with you that I want to see. I want to have a good... I want to see what I can about other nations, other lands. I want to know what they're thinking. I want to know what they sing to, you know. I want to know yeah. how they regard us. But they, uh, it is a yeah, problem. The Mullahs have been in power since 1979, and that radical belief has been there since. I mean, some of the individuals that held this are in the political power. Our government changes every 48 years, and we bring in people that have forgotten about history. And remember, why is it we're so upset with Iran we need to be their friends. Well, again, let's look back in history. So yeah. you're absolutely right. I do yeah. agree. Uh, you were, I'm trying to remember, you were married when you came back home? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah. How, well, that's wonderful. <laughs> no, it, it was. I can tell you, my first 30 days, did you see the movie Castaway? No. Uh, actually, I, 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 I saw part of it. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember it very well. I remember the... the, the uh, volleyball <laughs> yeah well he was stranded on an island and he had a locket of his girlfriend um and they were he was supposed to give her a ring and all this other stuff and jill which was my girlfriend then uh we said hey i'm gonna do this uh, it's gonna be three years we were so young i was 22 she was 18 <laughs> I know. and you know we were gonna do our thing and then if everything worked out get together the first 30 days i can tell you her i didn't have a locket but i had her picture embedded in my head and I just told myself, you know, if I can make it out of here, because um, I can tell you, the first 30 days, in addition to the other 400 and some days, you didn't know if you were going to live and die morning, noon, or night. But <sighs> anyway, I, she was my icon. I used her as my stepping stone. Sure enough, I made my first phone call when I got home, talked to my dad, mom, and they said, Rocky Joe's here. And I said, she waited. And my dad goes, well, she wants to talk to you. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, that didn't sound good. Is she married or getting ready to get married or what? <laughs> she gets on the phone, uh, and we start talking. She goes, Rocky, you got to make a decision, either me or the military, but I can't do this. I waited 444 days, but I just can't do this. And so I understood what she was coming from, and I've been in the service six years, and so um, I got out, but I still missed that military camaraderie, and I got involved with uh, Budweiser and became the director of military sales, and um, uh, you know, I was able to you know, travel around the country, selling beer to the military. Yeah. Now, Jill and I just recently celebrated our 40th anniversary. <laughs> Congratulations. Now, thank, yeah, thank you. And she she was my icon. And I came home and I found out that eight people, eight people lost their lives, their life from my life, from that rescue on uh, April 25th, 1980. And, oh, I've got uh, three children and I've got four grandchildren. Those eight individuals would never again go fishing with their son, yeah. go kick a soccer ball, go lacrosse, and go to a school dance with their daughter, um, walk their daughter down the aisle. They'd never be able to hold, hold their grandchildren. And I've been able to do that. 
um, after these individuals lost their life. And that's where Folds of Honor comes in. Folds of Honor provides scholarships to families of fallen and disabled military. And that's my... Folds of Honor has really been a therapeutic piece for me. For every morning I wake up where many of my colleagues had difficulty uh, times, you know, after they came back. Sure. And with Folds of Honor, it's really helped me uh, each morning. I think of those eight that sacrificed uh, the ultimate sacrifice, their life. And so shame on me if I don't tell their story. Yeah. So you've been able to, I mean, it's really quite amazing, isn't it, that you've You've been able to take that horrendous experience and actually turn it uh, to serve others in some way. Uh, I'm not sure how many of the hostages were able to do that. Uh, you know, I can tell you when I first came home, uh, the Marines, we were young, arrogant, naive, you know, and a psychiatrist told us that there's going to be two ways that you're going to deal with this. One way you're going to keep it inside this whole past but something's going to cause you to break during your next year of your life. But the other way is to use it as a stepping stone. And, you know, I read uh, Jerry Plotkin. He was Jewish, but he was reading the Bible one day while we were held at the American Embassy. And he, he said, hey, listen to this one. And it was uh, it was a phrase of stating, go home and tell these uh, your people what these people have done to you. And here I am, huh. 42 years later, yep. I'm sitting here doing just like what Jerry had mentioned while reading the Bible. And so it is, <laughs> it's one of those things, and what happened to me, um, but we should never forget that freedom's not free, and that, you know, the military, they're out there. I never did I ever think that the United States would attempt to try to rescue 65, because again, 65 people died the first minute of the Vietnam War. Right. Who knew about them? Who, who cared about them? And so it was tough. Rocky, wonderful talking with you again. And uh, tell people how they can stay in touch with your work there at Fields of Honor. Yep, fieldsofhonor.org. They can get out there and find some ways to uh, donate, uh, do a marathon, golf marathon, or just to donate to our squad. squad. So thanks again, Al. Yeah, we'll talk again. Thanks, Rocky. Roger that, sir. Fieldsofhonor.org. We'll have it linked at our site as well, so you can take a look at the work. Just a remarkable story.